that we might receive God's holy word into our hearts this Advent season. Holy Spirit, shed light upon these words we hear and upon our minds and hearts as we hear them. Breathe your truth into us, blow away all that is false, and fill us with the love that sets the universe ablaze. Even so, come now, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, the word of our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, friends. If I look nervous, I am. Um, so, what's in a hello, right? How do you meet somebody? How do you get to know somebody? Um, when I was at Covenant College, where my alma mater, I was very timid of girls, as you may know. And I had a friend who wanted to rectify this. He was like, Sam, I'm going to get you talking to some, to some pretty girls. And it's going to go well. And it didn't. <laughs> so I went down to, I went down to the, uh, this dance, and my friend saw me, and he was like, Sam, come on over here and, and talk with, with, with her. And I went up, and he introduced me, and I said, hey, my name is Sam. And she's like, hey, I can't remember her name because I was too nervous. And as we, as we kept talking, I started asking questions, right? Because that's how we get to know someone in our society. You know, wh- where are you from? What do you study? What do you like? Uh, and for me, as a homeschool kid who had most of my friends being my family, I was like, tell me a little bit about your brothers and sisters. And she loved that question. And she started to tell me about her brothers and sisters. And she started to tell me about a lot of brothers and sisters. And I tuned out. And she just kept talking. And I started thinking things like, hey, I'm doing really good. I'm, like, engaging someone who's really pretty. And I started thinking, wow, people are breaking down the... The, the auditorium out there, I need to go help take down tables, which I didn't, but since you know I'm a people pleaser, that was what I thought I needed to do. And she just kept talking about her family. And then she stopped talking. And I hadn't heard a, thing, a single thing she said about her family. And to fill the silence, I said, so, do you have any brothers and sisters? <laughs> it was a disaster. She kind of went, <laughs> and looked away, and I said, I'm I just asked you that. I'm going to go help them break down tables because that's what I'm good at, right? There's all kinds of ways we try and get to know somebody, and a really important part of that is just listening to the other person. So remember that. Um, <laughs> don't be like Sam. Uh, but the way that the Jews would meet someone and get to know someone in ancient um, Israel is they would tell you all about their family, but not just their brothers and sisters, not just, you know, their friends that they considered family but about their great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, right? It, it, like, the grandparents to the nth degree. You got to know my family. You got to know all about my family to really get a picture of who I am. And so 
as we approach Advent season and the coming of Jesus, we're going to look at Jesus' family line. And there is something incredibly unique about Jesus' family line. It is something that is not done in any other patriarchal society. I don't even know if it's done in any of the other genealogies within the text, within the Bible. But in Matthew, there are five women named, which is incredible. It's father, son, father, son, father, son. Wait, this father bore this son by this woman. And it names her. It gives her very, a great deal of value. And as we're preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus, as we're trying to get to know him and to get excited about seeing him and meeting him, we need to look at his mothers. And we need to learn what they're telling us about the coming of Jesus. Right? So, if you would, turn with me to the book of Ruth. As she is the first mother we're going to talk about. She's not the first listed, but... um, Greg is gracious and doesn't give me the first one, (laughs) who's much more difficult than Ruth. And uh, let me pray before we get into the reading of God's word. Heavenly Father, this is your word. You love your word. And you promise that your word will not come back to us empty, but that it will mold us. It will make us new. It will encourage us. It will build us up. It will bring us into greater love of you. So do that with us this morning, Lord. May we see you more beautifully, and may we love you more truly and deeply. In your name I pray, amen. So this passage is uh, Ruth. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, and we're going to read 1 through 22. So it's a lot. Um, And it won't be up here, because I didn't get it into Gene in time, which is my bad. Not anyone up there. Um, So it's on page 411 of your pew Bibles, if you would like to follow along. Read with me. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were the Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? 
would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is, far, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But, Naomi, but Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned and Moab, from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That's the first part of our reading, and it is a very interesting reading. So what do we see here? What do we see? And remember, what in Ruth's story is going to help us prepare for the coming of Jesus? What is, what is Matthew wanting us to see here? I think there's a lot, and we won't be able to cover it all. But I'd like to cover some of it. First off, we hear that this book is placed in the time of the judges, right? If you don't know who the judges are, their uh, stories are in the book right before this one. And they reign, kind of reign, over Judah or over um, Israel in a horribly turbulent time. The refrain, the constant refrain of judges is, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone abused one another, essentially. Everyone worshipped other gods and other images. Everyone turned from God. We often think of like living, in, living as, according to our own consciousness, is a good thing. The biblical text doesn't. Living according to your conscience is living according um, or against the conscience of God, the call of God. And that's the emphasis of the book of Judges. We need a king because we're wicked. We need a king because we're wicked. And friends, in this time of incredible turmoil and pain on national levels, God turns his gaze to a little family, a family of ordinary people, right? A family who, who experience ordinary pains, pains that are going to be really similar to yours. And as we read through this, I want you to remember God is not just concerned with, with what's going on in the big picture. But he turns his eyes and loves the little ones, the ordinary ones, the no-names, the people who should not be studied 2,500 years after they lived. Those are the people God cares about. Those are the people God comes to. So what else do we see? Friends, Naomi's life is a life of incredible pain. It's a life of incredible pain. 
and we see this just in the, like, the very first few verses, but I'm going to list out five tragedies that happen to Naomi early on in her life. Right? The very first one that we can often like, just skip over is that she lives in this little town of Bethlehem during a famine. And I've never been hungry. But we have brothers and sisters who have. And they know pain. And they know the ache of famine. And they know the gaunt forms. And they know the hurt. And you can tell the severity of this famine by the place that Elimelech chooses to take his family. They go to Moab, right? Which is insane for an Israelite. And we'll get into that. That's the first tragedy that this poor family experiences. The tragedy of famine. And then, as this book is seen through Naomi's eyes, we head to Moab and the second trauma happens, or the second tragedy, is Naomi now finds herself as a fugitive or a refugee in a country that's not really kind to her and her family. Um, There's a lot of animosity between the Israelites and Moab, a lot of pain between the Israelites and Moab, um, a lot of hurt feelings. (laughs) And Moab is also a place of incredible wickedness. Uh, They worship a god named Chemosh. They sacrifice their kids to Chemosh. Right? Like, this is, this is not a place that any God-fearing, God-loving Israelite says, ha, let's vacation to Moab and go watch what they do. It's not good. Right? So that's the, adding to the severity of not only the famine, but of Naomi and this family's plight. They're now refugees. They're sojourners in a, in a land not their own. And if these big, broad pictures of pain weren't um, bad enough... It seems like when you're fighting so much, the devil loves to come around and grab someone from behind you. Verse 3 says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So the next tragedy is widowhood, right? She's lost her husband. and, And there's emotional pain, which I will never experience in that. Um... And then there's cultural pain, which we may not experience. But to be a widow in this time, the term actually means to lose your voice. You've got no one. You've got no voice. You've got no hope unless you have sons. And thankfully, Naomi has too. But she's experiencing the loss of her husband in a foreign land. She buries her husband, whose name means God is king, in Moab. The next tragedy is that her sons marry Moabite women, and that's not the tragedy. But the tragedy is those men and women are married for 10 years, and they have no kids. And um, that's a hard one for me because I know some of you, I'm sorry, I know some of you really would love to have kids and aren't able to have or haven't been able to have and have pursued and longed for kids. You know this pain. You know this pain that um, Naomi and her daughters-in-law and her, their, their husbands feel. This pain of not being able to have kids. And the, the pain of that is, is even harsher in, in this society. And then the final tragedy, which may be the worst, um, is that after she loses her husband, after she loses her homeland, after she sees no food in her pantry, 
And she's in this sojourning place among people that are foreign to her. She then loses her two, her two boys. And the term here is when both Malon and Kilion die, the term is this term that's used only of um, children and unmarried men. It's never used of married men. The word is yell at its boy. She lost her boys. This is a woman who knows intense pain. Intense pain. She loses her husband. She loses her land. She loses her boys. Can we, can we um, understand when she's talking about, in these later passages, about how God's hand has gone against her? Can we kind of feel, I'm sorry, can we kind of feel with her when um, she says in verse 12, return home, my daughters, I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I thought there was still hope. Even if there was still life. Even if there was still joy. For me, my daughters, there is nothing but death. I'm too old to have another husband. I'm too old to have more kids. My story is over. And I'm going to go finish it in Bethlehem. I mean, like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, it, it just, it's just such a heavy text. And it's so heavy, particularly for me, because I don't find these pains to be otherworldly. It's not like when God's writing the Bible, he brings aliens in to create a drama. Like, he doesn't have to, Right? He's got this stuff right here in our lives. Right? The final thing I want to emphasize in this opening portion of the text is the term that is used of Naomi. She was left with her two sons. And then she was left without her sons and her husband. I hate that term. To be left behind. To be left among the living when you want to be with, with someone else, right? Right, like the... Oh, guys, this is slightly vulgar, but it just, it just sucks, you know? To be the one that's left when everyone else is gone. Uh, oh, one of the... One of the commentaries that I was reading written by this woman named Caroline um, Caroline James. She's brilliant. If you can find this, this uh, commentary, it's called um, The Gospel of Ruth. It's beautiful. Read it. Eat it up. She's wonderful. And this is what she says um, of one of her friend's stories. So much for your God. Those scornful words were aimed at a friend of mine as she stood with co-workers around the office television, watching the tragic events of September 11th unfold. The unexpected barb came from the business colleague next to her, a man with whom she had shared her faith in, on numerous occasions, all to no effect. His words verbalized what a lot of horrified people were thinking. Where is God? Caroline goes on to talk about... Um, how we feel that tragedy on the night on the evening news, we feel that 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 experience when we see national you know tragedies, but she says that that question also whispers when she just looks back through the pages of her diary 
right? When she just looks back over her life, when she's having those sleepless nights, when she's thinking, I'm the only one left who's not married. I'm the only one left whose plans didn't work out. I'm the only one left. You know, that's, that's when we have to ask the question, right? What, where are you left this morning? Where are you the last one? If, if, if that's not something that you feel now, hallelujah, brothers and sisters. I'm thankful for you, and I'm also fearful because it will happen. You will be left, and there will be pain. And if it's, if it's pain that you've felt this year, I want you to see your stories here in the story of Ruth. And I want you to take a journey with Ruth as you see what God is doing and what God does. It's not going to make the pain go away. It won't. But it does give us a better picture of the God who loves us, the God who is our shepherd, as Jackie read. Right? So, let's keep going. I'm sorry, guys. Like, I'm really, really emotional. I didn't sleep. Um, thanks, Mark. Um, the, next, the next thing we notice in this text, right, is Naomi's discussion with her daughters-in-law. Now, some may look at this as Naomi wallowing or just being, you know, loathing, self-loathing and, and wanting to wallow in self-pity. It's not the case. It's not the case. When Naomi's sending back her daughters-in-law to Moab, she's saying, hey, if you stay with me, you're hopeless. If you connect yourself with me, we're going back to Israel, a land that no one is really caring about God, right? You're going to be foreigners in a foreign land, and you're not going to get treated well. And that's made clear throughout the rest of this book, that that's a major danger. <laughs> major danger. I'm sorry. <laughs> that that's a major danger of what's, what's happening, right? So, so we, have, we have that part. And then Naomi's also saying, hey, I, I can't provide anything for you. I can't provide you safety. I, I can't protect you. I'm a voiceless widow. That's, what I, that's, that's who I am now, right? They're, they're, I, I can't help you. Now, in Naomi doing this, this is what you, you, she's doing. She's sending away the only people who can help her, right? She's freeing them. Out of her love for them, she's saying, no, go back home where you will have life, where you have a chance, where you can go back in the safety of your families and then have, find husbands. And then she blesses them in the name of the Lord, which is insane. She says, hey, may you find rest. May, the God, may God show his kindness, his hesed, his forever love to you and your families. Right? That's the kind of woman Naomi is. It's incredible. It's incredible. So she's saying, hey, go home, guys. Go home. Don't link yourself to me. I'm I'm doomed experience freedom, right? And at first, both um, daughters-in-law resist. Orpah's name is listed here, um, not just to uh, put her against Ruth, but also because she does a noble thing in at first saying, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay with you, which is, which is the death knell for her too, right? And Ruth. Like, if they stick with Naomi, they're toast. And yet, or- Orpah ends up going home, Right? And now Naomi is, like, her only chance of survival now, Naomi's only chance of survival, as this text portrays it, is with Ruth, right? And she says, go home, go home. 
And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you. I'm going to cling to you, right? I've got you. Naomi, you can't get away from me. I'm coming with you, right? That's, that's, that's Ruth saying, let me die with you. I want to be with you. I want to go with you. Sometimes in the darkest situations, hope is unseen, right? We miss it. We don't see it. And we don't have to, friends. You don't have to see it. Naomi ends up saying, okay, Ruth, you can come with me. And they go on, right? And Naomi doesn't even know that she just welcomed into her pain and into her continuing her hope. But she can't see it because she hurts, right? She hurts. And that's okay. Friends, this is so important for me to tell you. When tragedy hits, don't look for the silver lining. You don't have to. Just experience the hurt that's there. Be free not to pretend that it's okay. Be free not to pretend to smile, right? Let the tears flow. Be like these three women who constantly break down weeping on the side of the road, right? Be like these women who say, hey, it feels like God's against me. God, what's going on? No one needs to tell you with a silver lining. No one needs to show you the good, the good stuff, right? You're free just to hurt. Um, Naomi is often linked with Job. And a commentary I read, it was just so brilliant. Um, she said, you know, Job's pain and Naomi's pain is very similar, except for in one way, Job's got it better than Naomi. Period. She's got it, he's got it better. He's a guy, right? If all of his family dies and he loses all of his inheritance, he can still get it back. He can still go marry another woman and, and have more kids. He can still build back up his life, right? It doesn't make the pain any, wor- any, any less. But it just means that for Job, the death knoll hasn't told, right? For Naomi, it has. So I saw there was one way in which Naomi has it so much better than Job. And this is the only way, okay? Not the only way, but one of the primary ways. Job's friends are terrible, (laughs) right? Job's friends come to him, they're like, hey, hey, you did something wrong, dude, right? Let me explain the heartache. Let me explain the pain. Let me give you the solution. That's what you need. And look at what Ruth does. She just clings to her. She says, no, don't let me, don't, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me leave you. Let me be with you, right? Friends, this is not a be like Ruth sermon. This is not necessarily a be like Naomi sermon, though these two women are heroes for what they endure and their faith in, their, in what they endure. Right? But this is a sermon about the, the kindness of love, the kindness of a friend who says, no, you know what, I don't have to fix your problems because I can't, and I experience the pain too. I don't have to... Um, give you the reason why it happened. I don't have to talk you through why it happened. Just don't make me leave you. Just let me stay with you. That's what you need, friends. And that's the hope. That's the hope that's unseen. And it's okay that you can't see it. And your friends who love you that way, they don't need you to see it. Right? 
you have a Savior who doesn't need you to see that the hope that he clings to you is the hope of life for you, is the hope in your tragedy, is the hope in your pain. No, you don't need to see it because God's making it happen and God's putting it in place. And God has brought Ruth to Mary Malon to then say, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I talk a lot about my dad because he was a good man. I'm seeing a counselor to talk about the ways that he wasn't a good man, so don't get the wrong picture of my dad. He's not perfect, but he is a good man, right? And he has this incredibly tragic story that was so beautiful to me and a story that I failed to live up to many times. He um, had an elder in his church, and this elder had a little boy, and the little boy had leukemia. When the little boy was nine years old, the leukemia won the battle. Right? And my dad was there in the house. And, and this elder, uh, he went out onto the, onto the front porch and was swinging on the swing, and my dad went and sat with him. And the elder looked at my, my dad and said, Dwight, I just don't know why a little boy's got to die. Just, I just don't know why. Right? I just don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't know why a little boy's got to die. And right then my dad could have explained that God is good, you know. My dad could have said any number of things to try and like cover the wound, right? But my dad just put his head down and they started crying together. My dad acted like Ruth in this, right? My dad acted like Jesus Christ when he comes to you in your pain and just holds you and is just with you, Right? Those are the friends we need. Those are the hopes that we need. The hope that we don't necessarily have to process and see in our pain, but the hope that is there nonetheless. So, how does this story continue? Right? How does it continue? Well, you may know the rest of this story. If you don't, I encourage you to go and read it. It's wonderful and beautiful, and it will really, it will really bring you a lot of joy. Um, but Ruth ends up going back with um, Naomi to Bethlehem. And she's the Moabite woman, and it says it over and over and over and over and over again. She's a Moabite, she's a Moabite. You get sick of how many times the text um, identifies her as a Moabite. It's so important, because what, what good thing could come from Moab, right? But Ruth does. Ruth does. And what Ruth does is she goes and lives with her mother-in-law in the same house. She goes out and works and brings at one point 22 liters worth of grain on her back home to Naomi. Right? She's a warrior for Naomi. She loves Naomi. She fights for Naomi. And then uh, a guy appears. And he's not this young, strapping, powerful hottie that, you'd <laughs> that would fill our stories, right? This is an older man who's a kind man. And this, the, the story of Ruth doesn't revolve around um, this romance, but it revolves around what this relationship can bring to this family, right? The redemption of this family, how life is going to be brought from death, right? And so Boaz marries Ruth. And then we get this, sto- this part of the story at the end in chapter 4. It's on page 416, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. 
And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the women living with him with there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes on to give a little bit more involved of a um, genealogy. But the story ends on this really wonderful, beautiful note, right? Naomi's got her kid back, or ape kid back. She's got a little boy in her lap. She's brought, been brought life by this wonderful, unseen hope in Ruth. And she can live again. Right? She has someone to take care of her again. She has hope for the future again. And not just that, friends. This little baby, this little baby Obed, and part of this is kind of funny because it's a couple of generations removed, not the way we would write a story, right? But Ruth and Boaz's son has another son who has another son who's one of the most important characters in the Old Testament, right? And who's going to save not just this family, but is also going to end the heartache and the misery of the judges, right? And the heartache and the misery of Israel, right? And that's where this story goes, and that's the beauty that this story shows. It's one of the most beautiful little stories. It's four, ch- four chapters. You can breeze through it in any afternoon <laughs> if you read really slow, <laughs> right? And that's, and, that's, and that's where we end this, right? With this hope, with this promise of life. Now, with this text, with this one that's chosen, what does that tell us about Jesus? How does that prepare us for his coming? Let me say three things. First off, the pain you feel, my friends, the pain that you experience, it's real pain, and it's not going to be coated over by anything. The only thing that can heal pain is for that pain to be taken away, right? That pain to be undone. For you to be reunited with those that you've lost. For you no longer to be left, right? That's the first thing I want you to know. Little things don't cure us. Pain still hurts, and it's okay to be in pain, right? And Jesus knows that. He's the man, who saw, of, the man who saw, of sorrows. He's the one who walks with us in our pain and our grief and our agony. He is that kind of guy, right? It's okay to hurt. You don't have to pretend that you don't. Secondly, hope always comes in an unseen way. And a couple of centuries later, more than a couple of centuries, much later, much later, Another small family comes into Bethlehem. Another small family that is an ordinary family, that is poor, that is unnoticeable, not a big deal. They don't even have a place to stay. And they lay a little baby in a manger. And that baby is the hope of the world. Right? That baby is the one who's going to come and be close to you in your pain. And he's going to take your pain and then he's going to take it to the cross and he's going to die with it and then he's going to make you new. And the ones that have left you and the ones that have hurt you, all of that pain, it's all going to be undone. And you're going to experience true joy. True joy. 
The hope of the gospel, my friends, is here in Ruth. The hope of the gospel is here in Ruth. You have a God who doesn't wink at your hurt and doesn't tell you just to buck up. You have a God who loves you and knows you. He's the good shepherd. He walks with you through pain. And then he sends the Son. And then he makes all things new. So as we approach, as we approach this Advent season, or as, as we continue on this Advent season, friends, let's think of that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You know, the pain and the, the sorrow of the tune. It's brilliant. And as you walk through that song, you're just longing, O come, O come, take us from this pain. And then the sun comes. And his promise is that he will wipe away every tear from your eye and make all things new. All things new. You will no longer be left. And his promise is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Ruth. We thank you for the love that you show us, for the understanding that you show us in pain, and the hope that you show us, even if we can't see it. Lead us through, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.